Hey everybody, welcome to the American Horror Story podcast on Bald Move, the officially unofficial podcast for American Horror Story 1984 on the FX network. I'm your host Aaron. And I'm Cecily. And today we're talking about season nine, episode or three. Or am I? <laughs> yeah, we'll have a complex interwoven flashback reveal uh middle of this podcast don't you worry but right now we're still in episode nine season three talking about slash dance <laughs> holy mean, shit this is a lot you mean this... season nine episode three but i think they understood what did i say you said season three episode nine <laughs> season 1984 episode three uh slash dance this was a really fun episode it was great also like time just flew by this one a lot of the stuff that we made well first of all except you know, during the actual night that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, we're settling in for the night. You, you know, we're right in episode three. It's still the first night. It's we're, about 8 p.m. At first, we were kind of anxiety riddled by how long the night is. But now it's like it's, it's cozy. It's comfortable. Yeah. We're getting to know its contours. This it's kinda, night's, this, this night's going, going real well. Is there a pre-existing phrase for, you, you know, comedy torture is where something is unfunny for so long that it becomes funny? Yes. Is there oh pre-existing phrase for that in this particular thing uh, in this like, genre i think it's uh, called ryan murphy like tension tension torture <laughs> tension torture um it's funny because even though there's a lot of like the same shit that ahs does with the flashbacks it kind of some of the flashbacks and some of the weird stuff actually fill in some of the more bizarre behaviors from people that we've seen before yeah yeah so it's like you know, sure, you use 16 flashbacks to do it, but because it's almost like um, the writers on American Horror Story baited us to just think, oh, this is the same stupid shit we're always going to get every season. Mm -hmm. And this third episode, they're like, ha ha, fooled you. We actually have explanations for all this stuff. We got new stupid shit but for they're you. Doing, yeah, they're, they're using the, uh, the, the, the some of the other stupid AHS tricks to do it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. But, but for it's, some it's reason, it's, it feels different this time. Yeah. It, I feel like with this sort of this campy genre that right. you can you can get away with doing all oh, the yeah. things that, that they're doing. Yeah. And it's so much fun where when you, you get a story like Apocalypse – when you try to do this stuff, it doesn't really work as well. Yeah, Apocalypse is too is, is tried to get too close to being like high fantasy, or like see, or like season two Asylum. It, I love that season, but uh, it didn't work when you start throwing in shit like uh, aliens, right? Yeah. Coen Brothers style. No, I mean that's the that's AHS in a nutshell. Like, but this if, is if, working. If you you know uh, if you if you look at the elephant's trunk, it's a perfectly good trunk. You feel the elephant's leg, it's a perfectly good leg. You feel the elephant's tail, it's a fine tail. But you look back at the hole and you're like, what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> I'm not sure if that analogy actually works in service of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like any given AHS season feels to me like there's two or three or sometimes even four parts that work like as individual arcs but when they try to mash them together into one container that is the season it's like oh god there's problems here right uh, and this is only episode three so we're only episode so we're yeah, setting we, ourselves up for failure now this is the long night and i'm sure it's going to be a perfectly fine satire of 80s slasher flicks mm -hmm. it's going to be scary once we get to the conclusion of the long night because <laughs> who knows what'll happen who knows but it's it's super fun right now yeah I'm having a great the time. Chubs, but it's super cute. <laughs> Do we want to say anything else, or should we get right into the episode? Let's get into the episode, starting with the title. I think we've forgotten to talk about the actual title of the episode the past couple of episodes. Slash Dance. Slash Dance. What do you think this means? Can I confess something? Please. I've never seen Flash Dance. 
I have seen my strict religious upbringing considered that movie subversive <laughs> and sexual, sexual and forbidden for mm-hmm. some reason. That and Footloose. It's I haven't seen Footloose either. She's still working, girl, trying to weld her way whoa, to whoa, a dance a career. A woman is working outside the home. Well, yeah. there you go. Subversive, subversive as fuck. Really, was really. She wearing is. a head covering at least. Uh, she was. Okay. Well, she was then, being very I, safe. That, that that is that's pretty liberal. But it, 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 may, it might have been allowed. If I'm not, if I'm not going to go back in time and explain that to my mom. Yeah, there's a scene where she demonstrates the use, actually, of uh, like a safety apparatus yeah. that would put out a fire if any of your uh, clothes or materials were to oh, catch. See, I, 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 I showed that my mom that scene. I was arguing that she's being very clean. clean. Right. Just like, it's just like, you know, you just, you, you, she, she felt dirty. She had to have a shower. Very wholesome movie. Yeah. That's like, and you know, cleanliness <laughs> next to godliness. So we've gotten on a tangent. This this episode, Slashdance, I guess it takes, you know, it takes its name from slasher flicks. And then Flashdance came out in 1983. So a year before this is happening, that's Were culturally relevant. The, the Flashdance other than like the leggings. A lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of slashing going on in this episode. There's a lot of slashing. I'm saying Flashdance. What's the Flashdance? Was like, I don't know. Just it's it's a fun wordplay. Okay, okay. You're thinking too hard about it. Well, I haven't seen Flashdance. I'm fighting with both hands tied behind the microphone here. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get back to the episode, I want to talk a little housekeeping here for Bald Move. Cecily and I, in addition to American Horror Story, are doing our scary movie podcast, the annual Cinematic Spooktacular Three: The Search for Spook. This week, we're discussing the movie Spring, Brightburn, and the classic 1978 John Carpenter slasher flick, Halloween. Also, Jim and I did a preview podcast for Mr. Robot, whose final season starts this weekend. And you know, we'll have complete coverage of every episode every Wednesday. You can find that by searching for 2-Bit Encryption in your favorite podcast. Why not subscribe today? Also, our Rick and Morty coverage rolls on. This week, we covered the Season 3 episode, Vindicators 3, The Return of World Ender. We also talked to Danielle Radford, writer for Screen Junkies Honest Trailers, as well as Maximum Fun's wrestling podcast, Tights and Fights, about superheroes in the Rick and Morty universe. And tomorrow, we're seeing the Joker movie that everyone's talking about. Will it live up to the buzz? Will it destroy Western civilization? Find out. That review will be in our Bald Movies feed. We're moving on to the first thing that happens, which is the Night Stalker tries breaking into the infirmary. Boy, does he. Tries various doors, various windows. I felt like it was kind of like uh, Romero's zombie flick, where they're just barricading themselves into these flailing arms from the outside, moaning and groaning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally, Nurse Rita finds her keys, and they plan to bail, uh, except Ray, who we're going to find out this character turns out just has zero moral fiber and is a complete spineless coward. He's a real piece of shit. Yeah. Right. So he's like, there's four of us. I'm pretty sure I'm faster than two of you and I'm boning out. Uh, what and- makes him a genuine asshole is that it's just, he's, it's unmotivated. It's unprompted. Yeah. His assholery sometimes. Well, I mean, they're going to prompt it with a series of nesting flashbacks. Don't <laughs> okay. you worry. Uh, so he tries to run out the back door, except for Night Stalker kicks down the back door and just cuts Ray up real vicious. Uh, Chet, even though Ray just announced that he was going to abandon them all to their fate, feels bad for leaving him getting cut up like that and goes and just hands Ramirez his ass uh-huh. um, and helps Ray up. Keep in mind now for the rest of the episode that Ray's arms are shredded. And his, not in, like, the Trevor sense of the word. No, the very important forearm, uh, like, driving and climbing muscles. Yeah, all the, t- the complex tendons. Did you count how muscles? many slices he got? Seven slices. Seven slices to his important forearms with a very sharp hook knife. <laughs> yes, yes, a gut a gut knife. Uh, nice guy Chet. 
Nice guy chat. He's, he's not gonna, he gets a little not, angry sometimes, but he's he's going to yeah. Well, this is the so everyone knows about the roid rage. Oh, and everyone knows about the roid rage, but it's a lesser known side effect of roid empathy. Right. So you know when you're down cycle, it's it's, it's severe it's, mood swings. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, I just remembered that Ray has a pretty severe cut to his palm that he received five minutes ago, thirty minutes ago, right. within eight, the last hour. Eight slashes to his hand, his his arms and and hand. And a sliced region. palm, yeah. Uh, lots of defensive wounds going on here already. Also, in this general scene, we see. I wanted to point this out, though it won't be relevant for long. We we see that Nurse Rita goes and finds her keys immediately. Do you uh. think she's in on things, yes. No, I, no, no. This episode. No, no, no. I just, I just, uh, and I just didn't even think about this before now. But do you think Nurse Rita is genuinely scared by uh, Ramirez? Like she didn't expect that. She was gonna. She, I think maybe she thought Mister Jingles was gonna attack the infirmary. Oh, no, you're right. And then, she so was she pretended she it. didn't know where her keys were, and then she immediately found them. As soon as they found out it was Ramirez, yeah, she's like, How she's like you know, "Oh no, like, fuck this! <laughs> this isn't Jingles. This is some other fucking asshole." Yeah, right. you're right. You're right. Uh, one other thing, if you want, just just for fun, mm-hmm. uh, and since it's early in the episode, pay attention to the continuity of Ray's clothes. Because <laughs> yeah, there's a fun. few times where the editors clearly were trying to build tension by inserting extra scenes because Ray's clothes go from like pristine to bloody to pristine to bloody. Yeah. Just, you know, it's kind of the same thing in Star Wars where they rock the sand person back and forth to give him a little bit of tension there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same, same, same basic principle. So, uh, uh, spotting those. Xavier over in the dorm cabins is screaming that this is fate or karma coming to get them all, as Mr. Jingles is apparently trying to get in their cabin. He breaks their windows and flings a flaming bag of shit at them. Uh, so Trevor puts it out, gets shit covered. They rush out uh. the cabin to find several teenagers dressed as Mr. Jingles and wishing them a happy Jingles Day. Which is a thing, that's a thing in this community. Right. That Which, nobody knew about. Well, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, these people wouldn't. It's been 14 years. Nobody, only the locals would really know. The townies. But wouldn't, like, the chef know? Like, wouldn't she have kept up on the, the thing? I don't know. It, yeah. It's whatever. Like, I, a, a local festival uh, celebrating a serial killer, why not? How old do you think these guys are? I think they're supposed to be high schoolers. You think so? But they looked like they look very know, early early, te- early 20s, twenties, yeah, twenties, twenties. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, Montana has a great line here. <laughs> she goes, "I could use one of those ludes right about now." Yeah, just to like you know, even her out, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I remember to take my ludes this morning, which is funny in retrospect because this is another good. situation where she has been fucking with Brooke this whole time because she, at, at the end of the episode we know. Right? That her oh. and Montana. So, let's so, let's like, save it to the si- end because I have questions. This is another situation where, like, I think um, she was, like, chilled out until she found out that this is a Jingles guy. Like, this Jingles guy is real. So, yeah, you know, she was expecting a serial killer to come, just not this one. Right. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. They put some, they put some, they broke a sweat in the writer's room for this, this <laughs> segment. Uh, so in the run through the woods, uh, Chet and Ray fall into a punji pit, which if you didn't know is a pit that you dig, uh, and you fill its uh, bottoms full of wooden stakes and, uh, you really, really give someone a bad day to fall. And in you it. catch some college kids. And this is, uh, something, some games the GIs played with the Viet Cong in the, uh, the jungles of Nam, apparently mm-hmm. as popularized, uh, and culturally by Rambo. 
Ray somehow missed all the stakes, but Chet wasn't so lucky and took one through the shoulder. Uh, Nurse Rita at the top of the pit with Brooke says we shouldn't wait for them. Oh, no, they don't know that this happened. They just hear him scream and say we shouldn't wait. We got to run through the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this bizarre scene of the real Mr. Jingles confronting this kind of loser dressed up Jingles that's obviously the butt of the other Jingles A jokes. super fan. He's got like a twisted urethra. Oh, He's got a He's lot going on. incredibly nearsighted to the point he can't even tell that the jingles is the real jingles he's got a bad case of asthma and so i mean he's he's doing the most of a certain type of character that you're supposed to find repugnant and pathetic yes and And including his parents paying what i wrote down and interpreted as adult men to take him out vandalizing to emulate his hero yeah a serial killer yeah just scaring people (laughs) boys will be boys yeah okay uh what kind of parents are those jingles for some reason spares him Mm-hmm. Is he kind of like the predator where he only targets like alpha male types? Right. He just does not perceive if him you're like as a, a woman threat or a child. It's like eh, I don't want your skull. Right. Or it's just he's so pathetic that it's like ah, uh, did he feel bad? I was wondering. If Jingles, Nurse like, Rita felt did a kinship or... with him because Jingles feels like the type of guy who's had a pretty hard life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was uh, a model citizen before he joined the army, as uh, fake nur- Nurse uh, Rita will go on. Donna deposit. Chambers. Oh yeah, but I I don't know like he. I mean, he war will like fuck guy, you up. He looks like a guy who might have might have been the butt of a lot of jokes. Might have been called wide load a time or two. Mm. So maybe he's got the, uh, you know, wide load uh, solidarity with this guy. Or maybe he was planning to use him as his lookalike at the end. <laughs> I don't Jingles know. Jingles is playing four. I'm taking all theories. He's playing four. Forty chess. Punji pit. <laughs> 4D Punji Pit. Uh, Nurse Rita then tries to calm Brooke, who's in the parking lot, uh, and she says it's been way too long. They should have been here by now. We should go and get help. But Rita accuses her of raying on the situation, which is the new hot word for bailing. Uh, Rita then relents, though, and says, well, maybe you should go. Gives her the keys to her cute yellow rabbit. Rabbit. And just as Brooke gets in and swears she'll be right back, stab with a hypo full of horse tranquilizer. Did you know that Nurse Rita is evil? Did you know that she's not even bum, Nurse Rita? Bum, bum. Tell me there's going to be a flashback to explain this. We're going to get a series of flashbacks to explain this. Flashback one week earlier, Nurse Rita, a.k.a. Donna Chambers, shows up at the Red Meadows Asylum to give a special treatment to Mr. Jingles. I think she's bluffing her way through this interview uh, to portray herself as some kind of serial killer whisperer because she's like, I've talked to Ted Bundy and rest, rested two um, uh, confessions out of him. And, and the facility administrator is like, I didn't hear that. She's like, well, the feds are keeping it under wraps. <laughs> and she goes off to mention every fucking serial killer you've ever heard of. Yeah, she just rapid fires a couple of really uh, currently relevant type of ones. Yeah, Ted Bundy, uh, that was like less than 10 years from mm-hmm. this timeline. Mm-hmm. So it, I guess maybe that, that would work. It'd be impressive. I think you ask anybody that listens to true crime now and they could list off 10 more than sure. that. But I think back in that time, it, that, I think Hopple could buy into that being... Uh, Especially since Hopple would know, like she'd recognize all those names. But I, I to me, so my question is, is she like a Harley Quinn type who is actually a trained psychologist who's just lost her fucking mind? Or is she like a serial killer fan girl who is posing as a psychologist to do this for some kind of sick fantasy of hers? 
I believe that it's kind of a combination, not a combination of those things. It's I think a she's a c- 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 combo. No, I think she's just. A, I think she's a real doctor that is trying to do. You know, she's kind of the equivalent of like one of the Nazi doctors. You know, doing experiments on that nobody else is willing to do because they're sick and fucked up. And it, it might be, she might find that to be helpful in studying the human mind. Because nobody's going to suggest letting a serial killer just kill and watching them do it. But there could be knowledge to be gained here. So she's just the person who's brave and sick enough to do it. Yeah, I, she, it was frustrating because in this flashback where they're revealing all of her hidden motivations, inside the flashback, um, Mr. Jingles asks her, what do you want out of this? What's your damage? And she's like, oh, I've got my issues. And then she skillfully redirects it back to him. So it's like... He said, who hurt you? God damn it. Why do we have to have this mystery within a mystery? Can 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 we just play with it now? No, 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 no. I'm not going to complain yet because this is all fun. So I... I'm just going to let myself be led down the garden path. Uh, I have my tur- reasons. Turns hmm. out Donna doesn't believe in evil. She believes the need to kill over and over comes from outside circumstance. Uh, she turns off all the recording devices to gain his trust and then asks him if he ever hurt anyone before joining the army. And he says, she, he says no. And she says since the mid-1970s, has been an uptick in spree murders now. Maybe more evil men are being born, but maybe it's the goddamn availability of pornography in the war in Vietnam. And then and high, high, fructose. high fructose corn syrup. And the objectification of women. Don't forget about that. Um. I, I just love how he just chimes in with he's got his own theory about why he's fucked up. So yeah. Fucking high fructose corn syrup. God damn it. Um, haven't killed anybody since I've been in this place. So I switched to Diet Coke <laughs> or Tab. Tab would be the, the period. Yeah. Because they didn't even have Diet Coke in the early 80s, did they? When the fuck did Diet Coke get invented? Sure, I don't know. They yeah, had, yeah, they definitely had Diet Coke. Did they really? Yeah. Okay. I thought the idea of a diet soda was kind of invented in the 80s, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the cocaine supply drug up, they had to figure out some other way to keep skinny. So, so he has a very strong reaction to seeing Margaret Booth's picture in the newspaper. Yes. I'm feeling like my, my theory that, uh, this is a disturbed man from Vietnam who had a lot of trauma and flashbacks, uh, but was basically a decent person, uh, was targeted by Margaret and had all of her actual murders blamed on him. And that's why he's a now. That's why he's a maniac now. I guess that's my theory. Diet Coke was unveiled in 1982. Ah, uh, and that's so many men have <laughs> become deranged since then. I uh, feel like that scene, or I feel like maybe I, I definitely think Margaret is involved in some way. That the the hair flashback thing is what I keep going back to. That makes me think she killed everyone for some reason. But the thing is, if he wasn't involved in the killing, then why would it come so natural to him 14 years later? Because he's a Vietnam vet. I think he was did some shit in Vietnam, for sure. I mean, uh, that's what I'm asking you. Do you think that he was involved with killing all of the people at the camp? No. I actually think Margaret flipped out and went crazy. And what she's doing is trying to engineer a situation where she can do it again. Yeah, that's that, and, that's what I'm and saying. If Jingles is there to do some kind of laboratory of evil, and Ramirez is there because Montana put it up for him for some reason. That's what I'm saying. And <laughs> if you aren't, if I told you that you blacked out and you killed 14 people, uh-huh. 
And I said, do what comes natural. Do you feel like now that you have that information that you would feel like it come killing would come easy to you? Because I still have my empathy in like my. Again, I think this is a disturbed man. I just right. don't think he killed those kids. And I think he Maybe probably. Maybe after 14 years that changed him too. Yo, that's what I'm saying. Being wrongfully imprisoned, you know, for like uh, the crimes you didn't commit. Yeah. And being fucked up by the crimes you committed in another country for, on the behest of your co- of, of your own country. Like I could see. Yeah, yeah, that and 14 years of stew on it. Yeah. Plus, she gave him... It's like, that's the other thing. It's like, these weren't acts of his own volition. She told him, you got to kill this orderly. You got to push this button. You got to do this. But, I mean, all the people he's killed at the camp. Yeah, It's no. just like some Those sick shit. Like, oaring that he's girl? He's just working shit out. <laughs> he's just coming what that. He's just trying out see what see what happens naturally. All right, all right. It's like, you know, for learning how to dance. He's got to... There's no wrong answers. Just go out there and make <laughs> yeah. moves. Yeah, well, you got to crack a few bunnies to get the formula right. You do. I love... <laughs> also, there's this a little element of, like, Borg Queen seducing Data. Yes. Like, he hasn't had a woman's touch in so long. And she's like, feel my soft hands. How many bunnies do you think were killed perfecting this cold cream? Uh-huh. That's all we're doing. Uh, we're, we're killing bunnies. And, hey, we might solve serial killers. It's a, I mean, it's demi- it's like a fucking Thanos pitch. But if you're crazy like that, it kind of makes a certain sense, right? right. Uh, anyway, flash forward, but flashback. still a flashback from within the flashback. <laughs> Donna meets the real nurse Rita and her super cute yellow rabbit outside the Swayze Brothers service station. Uh, she gains her trust while Rita goes to use the bathroom. She then sneaks into the backseat of a rabbit, and Rita doesn't see her in broad daylight. Mm-mm. Despite approaching from the rear, despite like checking back over her shoulder to get the safety belt on. Well, they did. Oh, well, I don't know. She's got that yellow shirt on, so she kind of just blends in with the cute car. <laughs> it's, it's all yellow leather. Yeah, and she did make a point of like looking back down the road uh-huh. while she was getting in the car, so she didn't quite look in the backseat. I don't know. Nurse Rita's I'm tiny saying, too. Like, I just like I I just you know this is a it's, this is yeah. this is a movie trope. But for real, have somebody just curl up in the back seat of your car in any configuration in broad daylight and see mm-hmm. if you can pull it off. Do you check your back seats ever when you're getting into your car? No, but again, that I'm was check, a, if I'm checking for large people hiding like adult people, I don't think I have to check for that. It'd no. be like if a Wolverine was back there. I don't have to check for a Wolverine. It would just be there. Uh, I'm just saying it's it was a popular urban legend Mm -hmm. the whole the flashing the brights thing Mm -hmm. have you heard that one? Oh yeah 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 okay yeah someone flashes brights uh and you flash back or no they drive with the lights off and they wait till someone flashes their lights to let them know they're on then they target that person to kill them because fuck that person no no what the fuck what's wrong with you you heard I'm talking about first of all you might heard a different legend but that is also an urban legend okay so tell me your urban legend now (laughs) the Urban legend I'm thinking of is the one where there's someone's driving home and a car is following them and keeps flashing their brights and getting closer and closer. So they uh, so they hurry home and then they get out of their car and the person stops and says, oh, it's flashing my brights at you because every time I flash my brights, the someone was getting up to stab you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 someone in the back. <laughs> However, that works out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, and everyone lived and, you know, everyone went home. That person got help and got treatment and they're fine now. <laughs> that's the kind of <laughs> unicorn land I live in. <laughs> I'm sure that's how it goes. But, but I, uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I just, I've, uh, I always compulsively check my back seats now because I have this, like, fear. Is also, like, super, like, farsighted. So Maybe like anything within like a six foot radius, she can't see, but she can see down the road all day long. Mm-hmm. She's like the reverse of the of the wide load jingles. 
anyway, Rita's bopping down the road to the beat of Hollow Notes Maneater when Donna chews her up. And that's her whole deal. Except for we don't know her whole deal because we don't know her true motivations. That's <laughs> that was a, a part of her deal. That was a great face she made when she sat up. She looked like a shark oh, yeah. or the Cheshire cat. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, Ray's still stuck in a pit. Uh, Chet's still passed, or is passing out from loss of blood. So Ray takes this opportunity. Oh, wait. Before that scene, there was a real quick uh, Rita and Brooke scene there where she tells her that what she injected her with was horse tranquilizers that directly went to her legs. Because that's uh, that's why it's horse tranquilizers. It's it's designed specifically to work on legs. Yeah, it just you settles. Four, you got four horse legs. That's two more than bipedal. So it's like, yeah, you, <laughs> got, least, you got double leg numb. Or at least she thinks so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Ray takes this opportunity with Chet passing out to confess to some incredible things that happened, all stemming from a Hell Week hazing incident at this frat, which, of course, we're going to flash back to last flashback. year. There's been drinking. There's men grabbing grabbing each other's cocks. There's spanking of bare bottoms. You know, totally normal hetero guy stuff. Yeah. Uh, boys will be boys. Ray finds a initiate, a pledge, Chan, who is not physically able to drink the amount of poison he's being asked to drink, especially. And and he chides him and says, "Look, man, you got to you got to buck up, especially since as fellow minority, you have to work twice as hard to fit in half as well." And Ray says, look, I'm going to give you 10 minutes to get it together. And Chan thanks him, but he's so drunk, he trips on the pants around his ankle, falls down a flight of stairs, apparently breaks his neck and dies. Yeah. And Ray, okay, <laughs> Ray is a terrible nurse or whatever it is. He's actually an orderly. Yeah. Does that require any they medical training? He was doing some medical training because like flunking out of college caused him to become an orderly instead of maybe a doctor or something. So yeah. he seemed like he had been in college at least a while. I mean, he wasn't one of the pledges. Right. Or is that the pledge? Is pledge the word for someone newly being initiated? I think so. Okay. It's in pledge, initiated. I don't know when, but they're clearly not He clearly yet. wasn't a pledge. So at least, let's say at least one year he was there. Who, Ray? Ray's a junior. Ray's a junior. Yes. And Ray can't even do the minimum to see if something's alive or not yeah i guess this is a med school though right this is like pre-med i don't want to i don't want to speak ill of any orderlies out there but but i I, assume that by the way ray's playing it uh, it requires no medical training (laughs) (laughs) one of his white frat brothers comes up like bro bro what do we do bro And he's like bro relax bro i've got the pledge master the subtitles told us pledge master yeah holy shit that sounds cool i know so the pledge master three (laughs) And this- even more cock, even more elephant walks, elephant walk, pledge master three, elephant walk. Uh, there, finally, it took me three takes, but I <laughs> yeah. got it. And the pledge master's dad is a senator or something, so he can't have this body on his hands. Yeah. So, Ch- so, so Ray's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to quote unquote, take care of it. And he's going to do that by staging an auto accident where Chan goes over a cliff. Hilariously, Chan wakes up and says, what's going on? Just as Ray's about to roll him over the cliff. Manages to snatch his watch and take it with him to the grave. Not only that, but he does like three gouges yeah. down his arm. I'm thinking it's not the watch, it's the DNA under yeah. the dude's fingernails that's going to get you, dude. Yeah. Um, but uh, the guilt over this heinous act kind of just grades the tank and ruin his scholastic career, which is why he's got the shitty orderly job. 
Anyway, Ray thought he got away with it, but then the cops found Chan's car a couple days ago, which means it's only a matter of time before they tie him to the murder. So this whole camp thing is him just getting out of L.A. to plot his Jesse Pinkman escape to Alaska and live in the woods and never speak to another living soul from Breaking Bad plot. His El Camino, if you if you would. Uh, this interesting. Mm-hmm. This is this is interesting because I'm not sure why they needed to tell us that Ray was a huge asshole. Someone getting drunk because and he was falling a down. All right, dude. Until this episode, and there's a lot right. of heavy shit he had to do. Uh, someone getting drunk and falling down the stairs at a pledge frat party is so believable, and it's exactly what happened. Yeah. So I don't know why they don't just call the police. Because <laughs> I imagine a murder over this kind of over drinking. I mean, this is the kind of shit that gets fraternities de- deregistered, like get shut down. Sure. Like yeah. initiate dies because of over drinking and all this jackassery that everyone says is you're. Sp- I mean, but that shit still happens today. Is my point. Oh yeah. And I'm like in the eighties, you call the cops and it would be bad, especially if your your frat master or your pledge master is a goddamn senator son. Like, well then, even more reason why it'll I, never get out. I'm sa- I'm not saying this isn't reprehensible behavior, but the no, problem I mean, is no, I don't repre- want to break it down like the, that. I'm just listing things here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think uh, are shitty for Ray. Yeah. And. He's just a irredeemable asshole. However, uh-huh. well, Donna three days ago, irredeemable evil asshole. Three, so. d- yeah, three He's days ago they found the car, and yesterday, uh huh, he was having fun in his workout class. So, yeah. are you really that upset? So why uh, my so my point is why give Ray all this like impetus and backstory if you're just gonna kill him at the end? I don't think he's dead. How in the fuck is he not dead? I don't know. Okay. I don't know yet, but I'll we'll figure I mean, it out. Going to be like I would honestly, I would love a Sleepy Hollow Ray on that fucking motorcycle. That was just his, like with a flaming skull head. Yeah, yeah. Can he be holding a pumpkin? Yeah, he has a pumpkin helmet. He's, He's like come back as a as a ghost rider. <gasps> Ooh, that's good. Or it's like the Prestige, and that's where all the Jonas keeps coming from. They just have a bunch oh, of Jonas. The they have a cloning loop. machine. Yeah. Oh my time god, loop. Ray could be stuck in a time loop now. Yep. Okay. I still want him to have a pumpkin helmet, but the time loop can work too. We're taking all theories here. Uh, also, you'll never get this. You'll never believe this, guys. But Chet actually wasn't passed out, and he's heard this entire confession, which causes Ray to bone out of that pit and leave Chet at the bottom of it, still impaled. Which, wow, this guy just saved you, but you're at a pretty deep moral punji pit yourself. So I guess it's it's really easy to just. Add one more steak to it. Right. Uh, Climbs right out of there with his shredded muscles. Shredded <laughs> tendons, wrists, giant cut on his hand. Uh, he just climbs out like Spider-Man. I will <laughs> say that every time someone climbs in or out of this punji pit, it's it's a moment. It really is. Like they, It seems like almost everybody kind of slips and they play like these violent strings. And then there's like ominous horns. <laughs> and you just feel like if any time someone could trip and fall. Yeah. Um, anyway, Trevor Montana and Xavier... Uh, Trevor is being as noble as Which Ray is. Which I call Craven. them the A Squad. This the is A my squad, favorite group. For sure. Uh, he's as noble as Ray is Craven wanting to rescue Margaret and Birdie. Uh, I love Montana's like, who the fuck is Birdie? And he's like, Chef Birdie is good people. <laughs> he's good people. He's good people. Chef Birdie's just good. He's she good people, Cecily. <laughs> uh, Jingle shows up and the kids flee to the boathouse. 
They find the real re nurse Rita tied up and under tarps, and she doesn't understand what the fuck is going on, just that there's more people here, and she screams and gets away, but she runs right into Jingles, and he kills her by impaling her face with a or. She got O-A-R'd. She did. She's D-O-A-R'd, dead on or. arrival of a rafting piece of equipment. Yes. <laughs> um. I'm really glad that they figured out immediately that there were two Ritas, not, oh, that's weird. Her name is Rita also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Does Nurse Rita's uh, uniform seem dated? You Are they know, still wearing that in the 80s? I, I've, you, you watch a lot of 70s stuff, and I always remark about how like fetish gear looking the nurses look. And at some point, they went from that to scrubs and it happened fucking overnight hmm. i feel like every doctor and nurse is just like why are we bothering to wear clothes yeah. we can just wear these pajamas why are we the wearing doctors it? can throw a coat over it and let's call it good right but like i'm not sure when it happened so like maybe this is this is that missing link between the fetish gear nurse with the you know the little little hat that has a red mm -hmm. cross on it and in the, the white pumps and this is just like the transition form between that and just full-on scrubs hmm all right. Uh, so Trevor Montana and Xavier, the A squad, A squad, reunite with Ray, the shit squad, solidly on the on the Z squad. Uh, Ray is of course full on Private Hudson from Aliens mode. Just just game over, man. Just bug out <laughs> at every opportunity. Trevor offers to let him and Montana use the bike to go help while Xavier and Trevor go rescue Chet, but he warns them this bike is a fickle mistress. <laughs> go easy on a throttle, she'll buck you like a wild stallion. Which. I mean, I'm sympathetic to a guy mixing his metaphors, but like, it's it's is it a mistress? Is it a she? Is it a stallion? Is this some kind of trans horse? It's 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 all of those things. All right, uh, I'm I'm living for Trevor on, on brand. Uh, yeah, Trevor is rapidly emerging as as the hero, and Xavier, his trusty sidekick, <laughs> just like his gigantic cock, just, rapidly emerging. It's rapidly like a. <laughs> Like an airbag deploying. It's just <laughs> there. Millisecond response time. Speaking of Chet, uh, his screams and moans are drawing jingle jangly type attention. Uh, X and T, as I like to call them. That's exactly what my notes say. <laughs> XT find C. <laughs> XT find C. Uh, Chet, I did not know this about him. Maybe this is another side effect from steroids. Ugly crier. I'm just going to say it. You think so? Yeah. Oh, I thought he looks pretty good. Not attractive. Hmm. Not it doesn't sound good, doesn't look good. It's like uh, John Hamm crying on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh, so uh, who climbs? Is it uh, they climb down to the Punji Pit, which again super exciting. Uh, Chet tells Xavier about Ray's cowardice and his other serious fucking issues. Xavier pulls Chet off the stake. Uh, Trevor helps him out of the pit, which again this Punji stuff very exciting, mm -hmm. uh, especially since Jingles is approaching him. There's a lot of like there's a there's a ticking clock in this situation. Mm -hmm. They manage to escape just in time, but they're able to see Jingles approach the clearing and look down into the pit. Uh, Trevor thinks he can take him. Mm -hmm. It's one knife versus two guns. These guns. Wow. And he goes to bum rush him. I love it. Xavier's reaction there is he, you can see a mouth. What the fuck? Yes, he's doing the, the slapping his guns. Uh, he, he shoulder charges Jingles. Knocks him into his punji pit and yells, "Welcome to your own petard, asshole!" So good. 
Except it wasn't jingles. It was the asthmatic wide load imposter jingles. No. Uh, yes. And then we have, okay, so I have those three lines written down. Which one's the best from Trevor? Okay. The final one was, just so we're all clear, that wasn't jingles. <laughs> I mean, the He's petard. so good. The petard it, is my favorite. Bucking Stallion or the petard. Not the guns? Yeah. Uh, Petard's my favorite, too. Uh, especially since, like, isn't that something you hoist some? Like, falling into a pit's the opposite of that. I don't, I'm not clear what a petard is. I've lived my whole life, 43 years. I don't know what a fucking petard is. Just petard, use the phrase. A small bomb made of metal or wooden box filled with power used to blast down a door or to make a hole in the wall? What the fuck? The, Shakespeare's phrase, hoist with his own petard, is an idiom which means to be harmed by one's own plan to sell, to harm someone else or to fall into one's own trap, implying that one could be lifted, blown upwards by one's owns, owns bomb, or in other words, be foiled by one's own plan. I think Trevor is, like, well-read on Shakespeare. He's... He knows more about this than we do. As as if to fall into one's own trap. Trevor, you are revealing hidden facets. Wow, that's that incredible. That I find very attractive <laughs> in a man. Yeah. Uh, so, Ooh, so It's kind of warm in here. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, we're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So, meanwhile, the Night Stalker is confronting Ray and Montana in the parking lot. Ray, once again, abandons yet another companion to almost certain doom. That's what I mean. All of this is unprompted. You can you can give her time to get on that motorcycle. But yeah, It works that he didn't, but... you know, half second, half seconds to lose. <laughs> uh, and he's just bombing down this cabin camp road. Tom Cruise and Top Gunning it. 
And then Jingle steps out of the forest and fucking beheads him. Yeah. And here's where I like the headless bikeman. Uh, his bike rode headless down the road, and it was a really kind of cool yeah. effect of like the headless corpse kind of steering it until the bike loses its momentum and falls over. I'm telling you, I, I need a jack-o'-lantern helmet. Yeah, yeah. I love that you're very much on board. The Ray is alive in some capacity. Oh, I, I don't think he's alive. I think he's undead. That's a very clear difference here. <laughs> very clear. Also, I want to point out here that the, every time you saw Jingles... I was prepared for it to be like, that's Booth in there, or that's someone else. And they always resolve it immediately. So I, I, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. as soon as, because he approaches in the shadow and they don't show Jingle's face. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to conceal it. Mm. That he turns around and it is, ends up being him. Yeah. With all, I mean, you know, remarkable restraint shown by the American Horror Story writer's room mm -hmm. for not having all these potential false Jingles. And they don't really fuck with this as much as they could have. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Of course, I, you know, maybe with the, in the night to come, there's going to be four or five more that conveniently provide jump scares and false flags and well, et cetera. Actually, actually I just, I just Other talked about. Other petards to be hoisted on. Well, I think that I, I just thought of something else to that point. They have to do some sort of special trickery in order to make his face appear that dark on the film, right? Does he wear like something black over his face so that's all cast in shadow? Yeah. And then when he turns around, he definitely doesn't have that much shadow from the raincoat. I mean, it barely covers his forehead. True. So why are they adding that extra bit of tension that they resolve immediately? To, to, to <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just talked myself out of that being cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're thinking too much about it. All right, let's, let's move, move on. on. Night Soccer continues to, to menace Montana with a knife, and she shoves him. And then she pulls him in close and passionately kisses him. Then she bites his mouth. And demands, why the hell haven't you killed her yet? Smash to black. Bum, bum, bum. Now, you pointed out Satan, when Satan, he, Satan, we cut Satan, back to <laughs> when we cut back to the Night Stalker menacing Montana. She's like, oh, I think he's, she's going to hand him his ass because she's got a switchblade. Hell yeah. We were like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. She's in mm -hmm. peak physical condition from she's her cut jazzercises. Yeah. She's got she's loaded with cocaine. Uh, she's got a switchblade. She's going to fuck him up. Mm -hmm. He's fuck withable too. Hell I mean, yeah. Chet threw him like a ba bale of hay. Yeah, and Brooke knocked him out with an oar yeah. a couple minutes ago. Yeah, he's sometimes hilariously inept with his own knife. I'm like, this is... I, 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 got, I got Montana in this yeah, fight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then this happens. Yeah. So, like, a couple things. Who's the her? It's got to be Brooke. Brooke or Margaret Booth. Why would you hire him to kill Margaret? I don't know. I see. We don't know. Yeah, you're right. That's that's perfectly reasonable. Could be. Uh, it could be uh, Chef Birdie. Right. Could be Chef Birdie. Could be Nurse Rita. Not Nurse Rita because she would know that there's been some kind of switcheroo. I definitely think it's. I I I really do think it's supposed to be Brooke. The other thing is we found out, despite looking like she had made an impact, it doesn't seem like the Night Stalker really gave much heed to Margaret Booth's admonition not to kill anyone and to find <laughs> Right. He, he immediately goes to the infirmary and is like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. That, 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 wait, that's not what you said well, you were going to do? He, he, he wanted her to post feet. She didn't. She didn't. So uh. he's under no obligation to hold his end of the bargain. Did we see Margaret Booth once in this episode? I don't think so. Okay. She has nowhere to be found. Um, okay. Maybe so she's off doing the like, next week is going to be a bottle episode with her and the ghost. Mm-hmm. Ghost Jonah. Yeah. Jonas? Gonus. 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 Jost. 
Here's a theory uh-huh. that's going to drive you wild. Oh. Is Montana related to Margaret Booth? Oh, no. Why? They have none of the same essence. Well, that's exactly what you'd expect from people working together to kill people. I don't know why I wrote that down, but we're taking on all theories here. Just, yeah, it's funny that like there's very few people at this cabin that don't have an agenda. Right. There's like Xavier's trying to get away from his porn pimp. Brooke was running from the Night Stalker. Right. So if we trace this back, Montana and the Night Stalker knew each other before he broke into Brooke's apartment and took only her wedding ring mm-hmm. and then said Satan will show him the way. And then she joins Brooke. Is Montana Satan? Or Montana. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great theory right there. I think it's canon now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think who. So, like, Brooke is there without an agenda. Trevor might be there without an agenda. Chet, I think, is probably there without an agenda. Oh, well, he's got an agenda, so he doesn't want to be in town with the, the Olympics. But not quite an agenda. Just... Mm- a good reason. Chef Birdie, we don't know, has an agenda. Everybody else that's at this camp has... And then Trevor, we don't know whether he's got or not. He seems true blue, but that's exactly what you do with the villain in this case. Right. Um, but, you know, that's the other thing is, like, uh, a lot of people, the evidence that people are pointing towards, like, things being stagey or simulated, um, I think can be just, just retroactively work because it's all these people, in fact, supporting different factions of serial killers. So, like, a lot of things that felt, like, stagey or coincidental or, like, in plot, you know, like, there's people saying that, that something's fishy about Nurse Reed and not be able to find her keys last right. episode. And we made the joke. It's like, well, it's just Jingles just, j- you know, jacked her keys. That's what he does. Right. Um, nah, that stuff all has a reasonable explana- explanation. You just have to listen and watch 30 minutes of flashbacks to get it. <laughs> right. So. Uh, yeah, we've got some, we got some feedback to that talks a little bit about that. What if, oh my God, what if Brooke, no, she wouldn't recognize that. Cause I'm thinking like, I'm trying to think of why Montana would have it in for Brooke. And like, what if she was like made fun of at fat camp by Brooke? But I'm like, why would Brooke be at fat camp? Or if she was, no. would she be like, oh my God, same Z's. We were at the same fat camp. <laughs> why does she yeah. have it in? Does she didn't respond to her advances at the... Because the sequence know. is, she shows up to the class. Montana mm-hmm. meets her. Night Soccer breaks in that night. Yeah. So like, it's it's they imply that Montana just had it in to kill her from first sight. I don't know. Maybe she's just the the sadistic type of person who just really likes tormenting people. I, I mean, imagine that that her wedding story got out. And was probably big news in the area. So maybe they just targeted her just because of the whole wedding thing. Because that's that's something that's happened before in American Horror Story and Murder House. That a group of people came in and like reenacted the the, like nurse killings. Uh So maybe that's a kind of a thing. But Mm. Richard Ramirez is a real life serial killer. Maybe they're going to say that she he had a hidden accomplice and nobody ever knew about that's still out there today hmm. flashback <laughs> and then, and then flashed, a flash then forward flash forward and billy lord's just killing fools as a middle-aged woman yeah i could get down with that could wearing you? mom jeans she's got a little <laughs> bit of like you know 50 year old woman makeup on yeah uh all right 
Do we have feedback? We so have. People can send to ahs at baldmove.com. Just three little letters, ahs. Yeah, absolutely. Ampersand, eight more little letters, <laughs> a period, and then the final three, and you're there. You're home. It's easy. Yeah. So easy. Uh, also, we have weekly threads on the forums, forums.baldmove.com. Cecily, what are the people saying? Well, the people have much to say. We've got only a few emails, but they are long. Okay. People have a lot to say here. I'm starting with in. starting with Autumn, when you were talking about the Richard Ramirez backstory thing, and especially the shooting in the ant face part, that part is actually pretty accurate to the real guy. Last podcast on the left, episodes 110 and 111 are all about Richard Ramirez, if you are interested. I uh, did some brushing up. I, uh, as an aside, do listen to last podcast on the left regularly. Uh, it's been a while. I think they're like I have 300s in their episodes now. Holy moly. So it's been a while since I've listened to that one, but um, yeah, I do remember that those are... I doubt that's the last podcast on the left, then. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of podcasts past that one, or there's 300. You know, three... It's like a, there's a, the last podcast subdivision on the left. You, you can know... pull in there. It's kind of a net. It's kind of a maze. There's like hundreds of houses. You'll find your way around. Yeah. You know, three last podcasts on the left equal last podcast on the right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. He, he actually, uh, she continues, he actually suffered two concussions, not just the one in American Horror Story. I don't know about the poisoning in the womb part, but I guess it could possibly be true. Uh, you just, you also asked about Richard Ramirez's weird Satanism thing. He apparently was a big, f- was a big fan of ACDC and Judas Priest and really took their lyrics about hell and Satan and stuff to heart, at least according to his statements. He was a weird, unhinged guy. See, that's the thing. Like, Blame the music. The exception that proves the rule that like pop music and video games and stuff don't really affect people. Or was he just saying that? Because I, I feel like sometimes when people say that, it's like they're intentionally leaning into what the public wants to believe to gain sympathy. It's not my fault. It's this fucking music that, I, uh, that, that my parents let me listen to and that you let me consume because you approved it to go out in stores. You know, it's kind of like uh, society's to blame, not me. Right, because just like the um, Beatles album, which I forget what it's called, Helter Helter Skelter, Skelter, Mm -hmm. the one that uh, influenced uh, Charles Manson, you know, it's they blame the music, but Mm -hmm. it is kind of what you make of it. Like maybe it's a music's fault, but because you were already unhinged and they took meaning from it that was their own and acted upon it. Well, it's like the other (laughs) guy that like stalked Jodie Foster because she was in Taxi Driver. Like, right. Sometimes crazy people just get inspired by crazy things and it's not the fault of the artist or the person. So even if Richard Ramirez is true blue. Oh, yeah. Judas Priest ACDC made me worship the devil and kill people. So what? He could have done that watching Care Bears. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, he, little he he really took a shine to Skeletor watching He-Man. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Autumn continues, I'm a huge believer in the simulation theory after hearing it on your show. Well, wait till she listens to this fucking episode. Mm. It's going to blow your mind, all the theories we came up <laughs> with. I wasn't sure about it at first, but after the hyper hiker weirdness, especially I don't die here, I have converted and think that might be the direction they go. Back on Margaret for a moment. Hiker is like a glitch in the matrix. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I agree that Margaret is super suspicious. I think she will definitely be talking about the Jesus stuff every episode to beat us over the head with it. We've got to break this episode. Yeah. 
having grown up in a religious cult, I love Aaron's hot takes on religion in this podcast. It definitely seems like a commentary on certain types of people when she had her whole God is great because you can do horrible things speech. And frankly, I'm kind of here for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, you talk about this every once in a while. I don't know if our American Horror Story listeners are quite familiar, but you have a religious culty background yourself. And, uh, and I was it, raised as a Satanist. <laughs> uh, I was raised as a yeah Jehovah's Witness. Um, they have so very interesting beliefs. It's very it's a very uh, interesting resource to tap into for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I do know my Bible. <laughs> Read it many many times through. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of interesting stuff in it. A lot of solid stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of silly weird fucked up stuff. <laughs> and I like I like to celebrate it all. <laughs> <laughs> God made Ryan Murphy special. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, by the way, after a rewatch, Margaret definitely had brunette pigtails in the flashback scene. So we went and watched, before this podcast, went and watched the first episode again, the scene where she f- tells her story. Yeah, put in the effort. Yeah, she's she definitely up on the DVR. She's definitely got long blonde hair and looks like a different person than Jonah's flashbacks and remembers as having two brunette pigtails covered in blood and upright. Another glitch in the simulation? No, she's she's guilty of something. Uh, one last thing. Dying her hair. <laughs> I have suspicions still about Brooke. When her fiancé was having his breakdown and talking about seeing the best man at her place, she mentions, you know how scared I am I get at night and I didn't want to see you before the wedding. I feel like that hints back at something else in her past. Why else get scared alone at night before the Night Stalker and the wedding incident? I guess we will see how much Ryan Murphy and crew address those loose ends, but I have hopes for something more to be there. Maybe Brooke is somehow related to Mr. Jingles and this is part of her dark past. Probably not, but taking all theories, right? Right. No wrong answers. I I don't know. I feel like I've cooled off on the simulation theory after this episode because I just feel like it's there's what? the there's two, you huh? don't want a pumpkin head simulation. No, I mean that's like a that's that's not that's a, a ghost simulation. More. That's a that's a ghost time portal loop, which right. is very distinct. That that's a reasonable theory, unlike the bullshit simulation theory now. <laughs> <laughs> simulation theory is over. Ghost pumpkin rider time loop theory, solid simulation theory busted yeah sorry we just gotta get on board with the pumpkin pumpkin <laughs> time loop um i have an email here from rachel and it's it's a long one and i'm sorry rachel i did edit this quite a bit because i have to i have to try to make it fit somehow mm-hmm. but she did a very detailed breakdown of the timeline of events oh <clears throat> and about where things should be in like the real time if we were following those rules at all did she document each and every flashback yeah all right she says i have a present punishment for you because i'm a maniac and a glutton for punishment i actually tried to piece together a timeline of the longest night ever here we go sounds like punishment to me (laughs) i'm cutting that (laughs) the things that are bolded are fact okay you can't see that should have cut that part a little bit Uh, are presented as true on the show. I only found one thing, the timing of the replay of the Olympic torch lighting. That's a true impossibility, but the whole sequence of events unfolding in record time is improbable to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, July 28th, 1984 was a Saturday, so the plan to leave after class could mean a lot of things, but it's a two-hour drive, presumably north from L.A. to the camp. 
Olympic opening ceremonies on that day were from 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. It was scheduled for 5 to 9 p.m. Pacific. My best guess is they aired commentary right after and would have started the replay no earlier than 9 p.m., uh, probably later. I want to say it starts around 10 p.m. in the timeline of American Horror Story, but Horror Story also condenses its running time. So the torch lighting was at 745 the announcer notes that the sun is still up. Mm-hmm. The sunset is uh, 7.57, so full dark would be at 9.07. Full dark. <laughs> uh, so pre-7.57 sunset, the counselors hit Jonas, meet Margaret, and tour the camp. Then uh, the campfire scene appears to take place in full dark, but let's allow some license and say it could have started right at sunset, given that between 7.57 and 10.40... We have uh, Mr. Jingles escapes the marshmallow story time, marshmallow campfire story time. Brooke checking on Jonas in the infirmary. Counselors are hanging out, and then Trevor shows up. Trevor and Montana go skinny dipping. Uh, Doctor Hopple arrives at the asylum. Roy, the mechanic, is killed. The counselors turn on the replay of the Olympic ceremonies at that time. Uh, Troy's or Roy's truck and Mr. Jingles show up at the camp. Brooke finds dead Jonas. The Jingles chases her through the mud while the torch lighting is happening. Mm-hmm. She says, even if the replay started right at 8.30, which would put the replay of the Parade of Nations overlapping with the first few bullet points in the sequence, that would force this scene to take place around 11.15. Brooke takes the other counselors to investigate the infirmary and marker tells her to clean up. Using off-screen time, Brooke takes the shower, dries, and styles her hair. <laughs> Brooke answers the payphone. That's, that's, that's a brisk five minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Hopple arrives at the camp. Hopple leaves and is killed by Jingles. Then the news in the in the uh, cabin says, Tonight at 11, a brutal murder at a gas station. <laughs> okay, so we're still not... So this takes place between 10.30 and 11 o'clock? Uh, yes. Okay. Or 1045, did you it, mention? Uh, it should be after 1115. Okay. Right now. 45, oh, 45 minutes? Okay. We got some time to work with them. But the news says tonight at 11, so it's already after 11. But the news says it's before 11. So Margaret says lights out in exactly 20 minutes. So to give us the most time allowable, it's now 1040 p.m. Um, Montana and Brooke trade trauma stories. Montana kisses Brooke and Brooke goes outside. Uh, between 10:40 and 11, the guys go to the showers, and Xavier goes back for his towel. All of the above took place within two hours and 43 minutes. If we're being super generous, and uh, one hour and 33 minutes if we care about Twilight. Then after 11, we get Xavier with his daddy and daddy dying. Oh God! Brooke being confronted by Ramirez. Ramirez killing Jonas. Nurse Rita is attacked by Jingles. Brooke tells Montana about Ramirez while he watches them. Ramirez kills Jonas again. Ray calls for help. And everyone gathers around the daddy's body. They hear jingles. They run to the van. Margaret and Ramirez have a heart-to-heart. They almost hit Nurse Rita and crash. Montana, Xavier, and Trevor go to the cabin. Nurse Rita, Brooke, Ray, and Chet go to the infirmary. And Margaret encounters Jonas. This isn't even including all the timelines from this episode. Uh-huh. So... I guess it's around midnight in real time. <laughs> so, yeah. There's you think every episode maybe takes place over the course of like an hour? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, if, it, if, we, if it's just in real time. I mean, obviously there's flashbacks and stuff. So Yeah. It's, this night will never end. 
Okay. Next email is from Eric. Eric, by the way, I'm Eric from Cleveland, not Eric from Seattle. I guess we called him that in the first week. Oh, well, guess what? You're going to Cleveland Seattle, to see Eric? Seattle, Eric, is from- going to be in Cleveland. Worlds collide. Holy shit. Don't cross your streams, bro. <laughs> Trying to make it back alive. <laughs> Eric says... This season so far is pretty entertaining. I think the episodes are getting better by the week. The twists and turns were unexpected, and I don't know how I feel about them. The Nurse Rita twist was great. I just don't want them to humanize Jingles quite yet, or at all, unless the other villains, at this point, there's too many to count, can live up to how cool Jingles is. I was sad to see Ray die so early in the season, just after they gave us his backstory. Uh, well, it's not for long. Mm -hmm. Also, the other black guy was killed off, and the other person of color is evil as far as we know i wish ahs did not follow these tropes um so i was thinking that they maybe leaned pretty heavily into ray being an asshole and abandoning people because that's sort of a complete flip of the classic black guy tropes in movies Hmm. or in horror movies especially yeah but they still like you know one of them's like the said the, except that he did still die dead so unless he's caught in some kind of time loop so uh, yeah i because honestly no i'm not saying they did it well yeah when he showed up i'm like well this is the this is just literally 80s trope if they kill him mm-hmm. and it's also like not one of the fun tropes mm-hmm. you know it's kind of one that like oh this is kind of lame tropes so maybe in their minds if they do bring him back in the great uh, simulation uh, time traveling great pumpkin head motorcycle <laughs> ray adventure of next episode <laughs> then they can be like aha we subverted your non-subversion but yeah i that's that's fair if it's just, if they're playing the straight that's that's definitely a fair criticism and a surprising one because i feel like you know american horror story um does it, it, it one, you know, it has many, many sins, but like, you know, fucking up like gender and race and sexual stuff is not super. It, it, it it's you know, it's not perfect by any stand, but mm-hmm. it's like it definitely tries. I think. You know what? I just thought of another stereotype they're leaning into, which is pretty surprising, and that is, uh, I'm I'm really I didn't voice this before, but I'm really bummed out that Montana's a bad guy now because she was part of the A Squad. Yeah. And she was also protested against being a lesbian and then ended up being at least bisexual. Well, definitely bisexual now that she hit on Montana or not Montana on Brooke and Ramirez. Mm. So it's also kind of like an evil gauge trope. You know, the daddy who's trying to blackmail Xavier and then Montana being evil. Mm -hmm. Uh so yeah and the uh, fake nurse Rita is also black and trans so you've got like a double right yes um the only people i trust now are xavier big dick dude and brooke who the hell knows where the season is going i just hope they don't create too many twists that they can't tie up neatly before the 10 episodes is up uh well yeah <laughs> you can oh you get hope in one hand and watch ahs on the other and see which runs out first i guess <laughs> yeah uh, it was a great episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Again, if you want to send feedback, you can send it to ahs at baldmove.com. Talk with your fellow fans on the forums.baldmove.com. And we will see you next week.